found a superb story for this week. <laughs> it sounds good. Yeah, that sounds good. Mine isn't laugh out loud funny, but it's very interesting. It's certainly no Catullus. It's it's no Priapus. It's certainly no who is the chap? Who's the chap that pranked? Pranked a random old lady. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, what was his name? I can't remember. In, in London, where he just ordered yeah. every single tradesman in London <laughs> yeah. to turn up to a house at the same time. It's, it's not one of those. I haven't Scared got the one of those. Shit out of her. <laughs> uh, don't worry, I have. <laughs> Excellent. Well, in that case, it might make more sense for me to go first, okay. and that we can we can leave listeners with the teaser of your ridiculously silly one. Okay. Well, before we do that, let's be really boring and do an intro. Go for it. Hello and welcome to That Was Genius. We've given it away a little bit already with a silly history podcast in which two friends who used to be on different sides of the world now are just a a mere couple of hundred miles apart discuss history stories on a topic each week. We decide the topic that we can advance, although due to scheduling errors, it was actually decided two days ago, so this episode's going to be quality. And (laughs) (laughs) the story is decided... A couple of days in advance, but we don't have any idea what the other person is going to talk about. It's fun. It's hilarious. It's got bum jokes. It's that was genius. What's our topic this week, Tom? It's uh, body parts, isn't it? It is body parts. It's yes. body parts. And just to add to the, just to add to the silliness, I'm doing an Australian topic again. Oh, excellent. So Australia. Is there accents. a murder? <laughs> uh, no, yes. Well, no. <laughs> No, there isn't. Is it a story of survival? Arguably worse. No, it's not. It, no, neither that. Oh, shit, well, something you. <laughs> argu- arguably worse again. It's a sort of um, a racial story of survival. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, well, you I, can combat the inherent racism in anything to do with Australia by doing an Australian accent. <laughs> <laughs> We've, uh, yeah, we do Australia quite a lot, don't we? We... We do. It's a good source of stupid history stories, though. It really is. (laughs) It really is. When you research almost anything that's slightly silly, you come up with Australian examples, don't you? Getting lost, Australia. Cannibalism, Australia. Serial killers, Australia. (laughs) They've got everything in their history. Bearing in mind it's only, what, a couple of hundred years old. Yeah, they packed it in, haven't they? (laughs) Did you explore the, the Catholic relic route for this week? Because that was the obvious route, wasn't it? It was the obvious route, yes. And other than the fact that Jesus has about a dozen foreskins dotted of churches around, dotted, (laughs) dotted around the (laughs) world. Yes. Other than uh, Jesus's prolific supply of foreskins, some of which have gone missing, some of which have been used as rings, apparently over the years by various saints and popes. How strange for a Catholic to do that. Uh, yes, I'll avoid jokes about small boys' penises. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I, I did look it up, and then I, a lot of it seems to have been done. You know, the relics are a little bit cliche exactly. in a way. I'm glad you... I, I thought the same thing. I almost went down that route, even though I knew it was cliche. But um, I tried to avoid St. Bartholomew's butt plug or... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mary's little toe. Rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are some very odd ones, but no, I, avoid, I avoided relics. The other obvious route when when I initially started my research was famous people who have had parts of their body preserved. Yes. There's yeah. a lot of examples of that, isn't it? Particularly if you're a communist leader. They seem to have a real <laughs> ego, don't they? <laughs> yes. I, in fact, I've seen quite a few embalmed communist leaders in my lifetime. I've seen I've seen Lenin and I've seen Ho Chi Minh. Oh, no, I haven't seen Lenin. So no, I haven't seen Lenin. I've seen Ho Chi Minh. Very short Lenin. Very small Is man. He? Caused a a lot of trouble, though, for his (laughs) relative to his height. Yes, (laughs) double concentrated. (laughs) Double concentrated communist leader. (laughs) Made with real Soviet juice. (laughs) Um, So so there's uh, there's Lenin, isn't there? There's Ho Chi Minh. Yeah. Oh, I've seen Mao. Mao's still there as well, is he? Um, Yeah, he's he's quite he's quite small. There's a couple of North Korean leaders as well, aren't there, that have been preserved? Oh, I think there's only been two North Korean leaders, haven't there, so far? Oh, you're probably well, right. Two dead ones. <laughs> Kim Jong-un and Kim Jong-il, is it? Kim Jong... Uh, Kim Il-sun. Oh, oh, and then there's a sequel, Kim Jong-de. <laughs> yeah. Kim Jong, final blood. <laughs> <laughs> Kim Jong, rise of the machines. Uh... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kim Jong, rise of the machines. And then I didn't realise there were lots of um, there were lots of other smaller communist leaders from other smaller countries that have been embalmed yes. as well. It was all the rage. It must have been all the rage during the 1900s. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah, good topic. Good topic. 
I didn't in the end, but I nearly went. I, I started off looking at body snatchers or yeah. resurrection men, as they were often called. And uh, yeah, again, that's been done done to death ha 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 so to speak yeah but i did discover yeah. that there was a craze in the 1840s to 1860s for putting booby traps in graves putting shotguns and landmines in graves so that oh, when wow. you opened up the coffin it would blow your head off that would scare the shit out of you wouldn't it yeah absolutely. even better just have like a um a, <laughs> a writing mechanism so that when the coffin lid is taken <laughs> it's pulled off the corpse just flips up <laughs> eyeballs shoot out you can have a lot of fun with it couldn't you it oh could you get, could yeah it, it could get very indiana jones <laughs> <laughs> leg kicks up <laughs> kicks the person in the ass <laughs> uh, uh, yes all get all be buried buried with Just snakes with a grammar with a gramophone record that says take that you bastard <laughs> oh, <laughs> take that oh, you bastard oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah very very good I ended up going down a, a grave robbing body snatcher sort of route. Um, and it's interesting. I, I came across quite a few interesting examples of indigenous individuals sort of being hunted for trophies. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's quite a Jesus. number of good examples of this. And I didn't realise, and it was, an ex- it was something I almost did, which was New Zealand Maoris, who traditionally, many of them traditionally have tattoos all over their face. And I think it's associated with how noble they are in the tribe. So the more noble you are, the more tattoos you have, but particularly on your face. And I think it's called, a, there's one beneath the, the bottom lip, which is called a Maki Mono, I think. Anyway, I may have got mm. quite a lot of that information incorrect. Anyway, headhunting <laughs> was quite popular amongst Maori tribes and also um, many white settlers got involved in this. Um, so you'd have a collection of heads just for the, just for the tattoo Jesus. art. Jesus. Very, That's very a, morbid. That is very morbid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but there's heaps of examples of trophy hunting, isn't there? Even up until the Iraq and Afghan wars. Well, yes, actually, it was, it was very common in World War Two as well. For um, yeah. American I, and Japanese, American and Japanese would take uh, take trophies off each other, particularly teeth and skulls. Yeah, yeah, in- incredibly morbid, mm. incredibly morbid. Um, anyway, anyway, Spe- speaking of incredibly morbid, one of the other things I looked up was some of the art macabre of the sixteenth uh, and seventeenth centuries, oh, which yeah. was. Uh, I, Kind of beautiful in a way, but also rather horrible. It was exploring the fragility of life by using the dead as sculptures. And basically, it it seemed to use a lot of kids, (laughs) bodies of kids, who would be posed so that they were their skeletons and preserved so that their skeletons were reading books made of their own skin or they were playing with a yo-yo made of their own hearts. Horrible. That's weird. Horrible. (laughs) (laughs) It's really weird, isn't it? Yeah. So I also, and I, I didn't do this as well, but I also went down the route of sourcing skeletons for doctors over history. Um, yeah, which is, which... again, similar to my topic. <laughs> yeah. It turns out that the best skeletons, if you want a good skeleton, you go and uh, you go and find a Frenchman. Frenchmen make the best world-renowned anatomical skeletons because they're always in very good condition. Although, right? because of the numbers of guillotine victims and the uh, errors in storage, you'd quite often find a skeleton with a mismatched head. But other than that... <laughs> They were treated so that they didn't leak grease and smell in summer, which the uh, other skeletons at the time did. And uh, British oh, skeletons... How rude of those I skeletons. Know, I know. Not to leak everywhere. Is <laughs> this to, when they were walking along everywhere. the street, these skeletons? Yeah, just leaving a trail of grease and marrow behind Can them. Can you please treat yourself properly? <laughs> Come on, have some, have some respect, man. <laughs> have some heart. Sorry, sorry. I <laughs> I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to point that out to you. I know it's a sensitive subject. Cruel. Your skeleton. <laughs> Cruel. <laughs> but apparently, yes, the British were the worst because pollution and poor diet and workhouse conditions meant that British skeletons were quite often uh, really badly deformed and, and miscoloured. And <laughs> discoloured. <laughs> yeah, apparently British skeletons always came out yellow like nicotine. So, oh. uh, so there you go. And uh, if you were a really poor doctor, you'd make it. You'd find a skeleton made of odds and sods. So you'd have a skeleton with two arms of completely different lengths to practice <laughs> on. But it was quite limited in what you could talk about with that. So, uh, so I, I didn't go down that route. So I found a ridiculously silly one. But I think, as we said, we're going to let you go first, aren't we? I was just thinking about the heads of French. So you'd often get mismatching heads. How do you know if it's the right head? Does it fit like a Lego, uh, like like a puzzle piece? Does it I... just clip in nicely? There you go, that's the right head. 
<laughs> I was trying to do a pop noise, but couldn't. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah don't fight it in. Don't don't try to wrestle it in. It's probably just not the right head. If no. it fits in just snug, that's the right <laughs> head for you. Yeah, you don't want you don't want to try and put a, a square vertebrae in a round stem, do you? Around brain stem, do you? <laughs> <laughs> very very gross. Uh, yes. Anyway, so you've you've touched on it already. I am doing a topic that involves uh, body snatching, science, and Aboriginal Australians. Excellent. Yeah. So we we, we are going Australian again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually going back to the same part of Australia and the same time in Australia as I visited a few weeks ago with the story of cannibalistic serial killer Alexander Pierce. So I'm going 19th century Tasmania again. And I, oh, excellent. Um, I'll try and be a little bit more innovative in future weeks, but I, I thought this was a very, very good example. Yeah, I mean, Tasmania has changed a, a lot in 130 years. It's, it's changed about 20 years, whilst the rest of the world's changed 130. <laughs> but it's changed, and I think we need to respect that. By... We need to, yeah, and Australians have changed, haven't they? They're, they're only mildly racist now. They, they are, yes. Yeah. Changing and, times. Yeah, they're moving in the right direction. <laughs> um, so there are a few reoccurring themes, aren't there, when we talk about Australian history? Uh, we've touched on yes. them already. <laughs> Europeans getting lost. Um, Australians laughing at their incompetence. And then the other one is Aboriginal Australians being treated like shit, which is the major theme of my uh, topic this week. So here's a brief summary for people who don't know much about Australian history of European treatment of Aboriginal Australians. So <laughs> white man arrives on continent... White man fucks over black man. Audacious black man retaliates. White man doesn't think this is very nice. White man <laughs> commits ethnic genocide. White man surprised when remaining black man turned to alcohol. So that's a kind of summary of um, of, of relations between white settlers and um, Aboriginal Australians. <laughs> I feel like we should qualify that alcoholism and drugs, whilst they are a large problem, is not. It's not entirely endemic. <laughs> There are plenty of people who aren't glue sniffing. <laughs> no, that's true. There are, there are plenty who are, though. I feel like in your attempt to ridicule <laughs> white attitudes <laughs> towards native peoples in colonised countries, what you may have done is slightly perpetuated modern myths. <laughs> I know I'm... you didn't mean to, but I'd like to point out that that's what you just did. <laughs> I know, I know, I did mean to. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to oh. be, I'm trying to be nasty to both sides, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be taking the piss ninety percent out of white settlers and only ten percent out of our Aboriginals, if that, if that's fair. I think. Yes. <laughs> I can always, I can always edit. <laughs> Let me take you then, like I did three episodes ago, back to Van Diemen's Land, so one-day Tasmania, off the south coast of the Australian mainland. So, in the first quarter of the nineteenth century. White settlers and Aborigines weren't... And by the way, I'm going to use... I might use the term Aborigines. I'm not sure if that's politically correct anymore, but I, I say it with um, without any racial, racist undertones, he says, having just made an alcoholism joke. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> white, white settlers and Aborigines weren't getting along too well in Van Diemen's land. So it does take two to tango. So I'm sure that the Aborigines weren't always the most pleasant neighbours, but it is worth pointing out that they actually had occupied Australia for a rather long time. And um, yes, and the white settlers had only just turned up and were quickly trying to take over everything. Yes. It, the, the greedy white man is a common epithet, isn't it, expressed by indigenous cultures in most colonised areas of the world. Yes, can't think where most colonised areas of the world get that idea from. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the white settlers were frequently killing Aborigines that they encountered and kidnapping the women and children. So the government itself was awarding bounties for the capture of Aborigines so they could be civilised, in inverted commas, and resettled to areas that the white settlers didn't want. So in 1803, there were around five to 7,000 Aborigines on the island of Tasmania. By 1861, so just under 60 years later, there were about six although heaps more of mixed descent. Just an incredible drop in, in numbers. Astonishing. It, yeah, it, it pretty much is a genocide. Anyway, the white settlers were frequently killing Aborigines they encountered, just because they could. There was even <laughs> a chap called George Robinson who was appointed protector of the Aborigines, and now there's a very misleading title. Mm, is that like a gamekeeper? <laughs> I get yeah, the feeling well, it's like yes, a gamekeeper. That's a fantastic analogy. That's pretty much what it was. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. That's pretty much exactly what it was. So Robinson oversaw the relocation of 134 Aborigines to Flinders Island, which is a smaller island between mainland of Australia and Tasmania. 
And here the Aborigines were out of the way and could be, inverted commas, civilised and turned into Christians. And, and Flinders Island was shit, by the way, so it was cold, windy, and many of those people died of, of disease. In 1842, Robinson found a seven-year-old boy and the rest of his family and had them taken to Flinders Island. And the seven-year-old boy was a chap called William Lane. I think his surname is pronounced Lane, although it has two N's. Uh, and we don't know this chap's original Aboriginal name. William Lane was the, the youngest of his family. He became a whaler at the age of 20, settled down um, living alongside white settlers, and his life was pretty uneventful. But what happened after his death is fascinating. He died at the age of 34, and it says a lot about the attitudes of um, white settlers to Aborigines. As his body lay in a morgue in Hobart, a battle began to rage between the Royal College of Surgeons in London and the Royal Society of Tasmania over who should get his body. And why was that? Because he yes. was thought... Why <laughs> was that, Tom? <laughs> uh, because he was thought to be one of the last purebred, and I can't think of a better term, I know that's a horrible use of the term purebred, Tasmanian Aboriginal. Presumably because all of the other ones had either been killed, raped, or forced into integrating with European culture after, inverted commas, re-education. Mm. So he was one of the last remaining 100% Aboriginal Australians from Tasmania. So what do you do with the body of a dead Aboriginal Tasmanian, Sam? That is a, well, other than fight about who gets to keep it. <laughs> yeah, perhaps you respect the culture's burial practices. You know, that would no, be a nice thing to do, no, wouldn't it? No, 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 no. Well, how, no, about, no. how about maybe returning his body to his tribe and letting oh, them deal with it? Oh, fuck off. He's one of the, he's the last one anyway. What are gonna... <laughs> Where are you going to go? Yeah. <laughs> It's like the last. It's like the last Rolo. You don't put the last Rolo back in the pack, Tom. God, <laughs> you dissect it for science. Boom! Thank you very much. Or maybe you just cut him up to prove your suspicions that Aborigines are subhumans more closely related to gorillas. And yes, oh, that was pretty sake. much what was. That's pretty much what was going on here. So welcome to Australia, folks. Yes, that's right. It's racism, pure and simple. <laughs> the game that any Australian can play. <laughs> so, a chap called um, William Crother requested access to the body of William Lane, but his claim was denied. So Crother, a politician, incidentally, and an honorary medical officer, decided... And now prepare yourself for this, Sam, because it gets really quite awful now. Decided oh, as opposed to, to before. <laughs> no, no, that was just, that was, that was just a build-up. Um, he decided, this chap Crother, decided to break into the morgue with his son cut off Lane's head, remove the skull, replace it with the skull of a random corpse found in a neighbouring room, and leg it oh, with Lane's skull. Oh, Crother managed this by distracting the man working at the morgue by inviting him round for tea, not being there for tea, and getting his wife to make small talk for as long as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic heist movie in the making. <laughs> it is. It's the classic one-two, isn't it? It's that old, that old egg, <laughs> yeah. uh, that old chestnut. Someone, someone has to play the patsy, don't they? <laughs> isn't that, isn't that a role in heists? I don't know. I've never seen heists. Is it? That's a Netflix, is it? No, well, heists is in tradition, like you know, Ocean's Eleven and oh, Italian yeah, yeah, Job yeah, yeah, and yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah. Isn't there someone called the patsy? I don't know if that's the person who's framed for it or what. Oh, I don't know. Possibly, we'll put that up to. You can put that up to listeners. What role would this person have in a classic comedy heist movie about stealing the head of the last indigenous Tasmanian? And showing zero respect for his culture, yeah. yeah. When the theft was discovered, the Royal Society of Tasmania, here represented by a chap called George Stokel, keen to maintain the moral high ground here, Sam. Of course, well, of course, very important in such Absolutely. situations. So they decided to cut off the hands and feet of Lane, hide them in a library to prevent any further attempts to collect samples of Lane. <laughs> Which makes total sense, doesn't it? So rather than yeah, rather than maybe have heightened security around around the morgue, maybe bury him surreptitiously, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, no, no, that's not sensible. Cutting off his hand, arm, cutting off his hands and feet is sensible. And hiding them in the library. Whereabouts in the library did they hide them? In which oh, God. In which section, according to the Dewey's decimal system? <laughs> I may have been wrong. Actually, it may have been a museum. Either way. It would be a bit of a surprise, wouldn't it, if you were if you went to fix the toilet system and <laughs> there was a hand and a foot um, wedged in 
The remains of Lane's body were buried a few days after all this in a rather large funeral. His burial was organised by his old whaling ship boss, who incidentally paid for uh, the whole thing. And there were a whole host of Lane's colleagues. Very generous. Yeah. Cooperative. It's it's actually, interestingly, and I... I, Actually, fishermen had cooperatives for funerals, didn't they? Oh, did they? To pay for their burials. Yeah, well, it it was very common, yeah. Workers' cooperatives for funerary costs. Well, it's actually very interesting. So this is this is going to take you by surprise, Sam, but I actually did quite a lot of research this week and I read some rather large... One of them was 20 pages long, documents about this story. And it's interesting when, when you really look into it in depth that not every single white settler was a racist bastard, it's worth pointing out. There were a lot of people who were actually appalled by this, really, really appalled by what happened here. Admittedly, it was largely driven by the fact that they didn't want their bodies to be cut up or, yes. or stolen rather than the fact that it was an Aboriginal Australian who was just being used as a... Yes, doing uh, this to anyone equals bad. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Or, or more about, I don't want it to happen to me. But this this chap, William Lane, had a lot of uh, strong friends, people he'd been uh, fishing with, and, uh, yeah, he had pallbearers, and he, there was there were a lot of people who attended his, attended his funeral. A lot of them um, were white settlers, a lot of them were, were mixed race, part Aboriginal... There were a lot of white settlers and people in the area who were actually a lot nicer than old Crother and Stokel. You don't need to be nice when you've got science on side, Tom. It's, it, it is interesting, isn't it? That, that, it's very I mean, interesting. I think that's where a lot of the dehumanisation... On a serious note, I think that's where a lot of the dehumanisation comes from is because you claim that you don't need humanity when you're being a scientist. And that's how people disassociate... <laughs> It's very poignant. Yeah, it is very poignant. And it's also a time where... Oh, when, I mean, Darwin's Origin of the Species, I think that was 1860s, was it 1869 maybe? We, we're at a time where there's just endemic racism. So mm. white people are discovering these indigenous cultures. They look very different. So Aboriginal Australians do look very different. Then not only is it their skin pigmentation that's different, but their whole face structure is very different. Um, and rather than start from the perspective of this is a human being let's explore you know let's explore how aboriginal australians are different um it's this person is a gorilla or yes. it's actually, this person is subhuman this person isn't as good as us let's explore how they're worse than yes. us it's it's really very awful and australian i mean i, I only slightly touched on it I, I have not researched australian history as well as i could but it's truly horrendous. It's genocidal how um, Aboriginals across the continent were treated. It is horrendous. Mm. Anyway. Tell a joke, Tom. Tell a bummy yeah, joke. <laughs> I told you, it's, it's a very interesting topic. It's not necessarily inherently funny. Um, a few days after his burial, a gravedigger... <laughs> I'm trying, but I'm struggling. I try, I try, I'm trying to make it funny. I mean, I've made some alcoholism jokes, but, <laughs> but that's the best I could do with the material. A few days after his burial... Now I have to grave... leave them in. <laughs> Reference them again. A few days after his burial, a gravedigger found his coffin exposed, the body removed, a skull discarded on the floor, and blood everywhere. The third, the third it, skull in a row. Yeah, his skull's yeah, gone, absolutely. a random skull's been replaced <laughs> Replaced it, and now that skull's gone, and a third skull's in its place. Exactly, they've gone to the spare skull shop, and they've <laughs> bought a few extra, just in case they need them. <laughs> Do you, would you like an Aboriginal one, sir? They're quite rare. Oh, no, any old one will do. Just give us a white skull. That's absolutely fine. Uh, yeah, so his his whole body was removed, and it, it it would appear that Crother had stolen the body. Now, rumour has it that Stokel, um, this is the chap who took the moral high ground by cutting off the hands and feet, actually made a purse out of some of Lane's skin. And there was also rumour that other scientists around Jesus. Stokel took choice pieces of the body as their own trophies. Fuck's sake. Oh, I don't know. Whatever happened to the majority of Lane's body is not known with any certainty. It has been argued that his body was sent to the Royal College of Surgeons in London by Crother. It has also been argued that um, the skull ended up in the University of Edinburgh. Neither theory has been decisively proved, but it, these things have been debated right up until, I think, the 90s. I think um, the University of Edinburgh was approached um, and studies were done to see if any of the skulls were Lane's. No, nothing decisive. In reality, there's a strong argument that both Stokel and Crother had very little interest in Lane's body parts for scientific reasons. Rather, they just had some morbid desire to possess parts of him as trophies. And um, They were just bastards. They were, exactly, they were just bastards. Who'd have thunk based on the story so far? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> they seem so trustworthy. Around the same time, um, incidentally, that uh, that Crowther had sent the body to the Royal College of Surgeons, one of the uh, very senior surgeons there who specialised in studying skulls had actually basically come to the conclusion that you couldn't get any serious scientific results from looking at skulls. You couldn't dis- you couldn't look at an Aboriginal skull versus a white man's skull and say anything of any scientific worth really about where Mm. they sit in the evolutionary spectrum Uh, so all in all a very 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 strange affair but what is fascinating about it is it says so much about the attitude of white settlers to aborigines and also as you've touched on the willingness of scientific organizations to completely ignore any ethics in the pursuit of science in a similar vein yes or a or a trophy yeah or a trophy or something to hang off their belt in a similar vein Lane's wife, a lady called Truganini, um, who is also um, 100% Aboriginal Tasmanian, died in 1876. She demanded that she be cremated and a rash is spread over the... Now prepare yourself for this. Dontrecasto Channel, which is quite a mouthful, which um, is north of Tasmania, between Tasmania and the mainland. And she was scared of what would happen to her body after what happened to Lane's body. Yeah, damn right. Her body was buried. Good start despite the fact that she asked for it to be cremated. It was dug up after two years, put on display until 1947 in a museum, and finally cremated in 1976. I don't... Exactly. You you laughed. It's that or crying, wasn't it? Yeah. So that was really a... We'll get round to it. I know. God awful. It's absolutely awful. I didn't write this down in my notes either, but Truganini is a good example of what was going on with relations between... Tasmanian Aboriginals and white settlers because she was one of uh, numerous siblings and I think one of her siblings was stolen by whalers and basically forced to marry someone another one that a brother was shot just her story just the story of what happened to all of her to her and her immediate relatives was just a great example of what was happening to all of these Tasmanian Aboriginals in the face of aggressive greedy white settlers Uh. finish that up with a bit of comic relief then Sam over to you well, thank you, Tom. <laughs> what a treat. Fortunately, and in a complete turnabout <laughs> of tone and style, this week, Tom, I've been looking at the mythology of the anus. <laughs> Excellent mythology of the anus. Talking of mythology of the anus, what did I come... I forgot to make this. Make a note of this. There is a term for shoving a piece mm. of ginger up your bum. Oh, yes. Yes, there is. And it's not a bit of pep and ginger for kind of... Uh, <laughs> Well, actually, it might be. That might be where that comes from. Figging. When you, say, when you say someone's got get up and go, they've got a bit of pep and ginger. It's a bit of Victorian terminology, which, which might actually be shoving ginger <laughs> up your ass. It's called figging. Figging. And I've just Googled that. Okay. So again, I'm going to get some rather interesting adverts. But figging. Yes. As in the traditional Christmas carol, bring us some figging pudding. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's frigging. Give us some fucking pudding. Let's give us some figging pudding. I wish you a Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, that's going to set the bells a-ringing. <laughs> it was, and it was done as a punishment, wasn't it? It was done for... Sla- so if you had a naughty slave, male or female, so a male would obviously get a bit of ginger shoved up their bum, and a female would get it shoved up the other bit. Oh, They'd get pinned yeah. down for half an hour, and apparently it was excruciatingly painful. And it bloody was. <laughs> Where did people get that idea from? I, I don't know. Maybe maybe someone slipped. Horrible. Maybe someone slipped and fell on a bit of ginger and went into ED and said, I just slipped and I fell on a bit of ginger. Then it went right up my bum. But why, sir, is there a giant dildo, a gerbil, a roll of toothpaste and a toothbrush up your bum as well? Well, have you ever heard of the old woman who swallowed a fly? <laughs> Well, I swallowed the contents of a bathroom. (laughs) What's mental image now of walking into A&E with just a gingerbread man's legs sticking out your bum hole? (laughs) A live gingerbread man. (laughs) (laughs) Not my gumdrop buttons. (laughs) I was doing the running, running as fast as I can. And look where it ended up. Run, run, as fast as you can. You can't catch me. Oh, I have. And yeah, I'm shoving you up my ass. <laughs> I'll just hide in this darkened room. <laughs> and wiggled and tiggled inside her. Ah, <laughs> uh, wonderful. Uh, 
Well, I like how even though I've managed to talk about the mythology of the anus, you immediately go on to punishing slaves again. You've really, you're having a bad week, aren't you? Jesus. One week back in the UK in February and you've turned into a bloody Russian novelist in your outlook on life. And then it got worse. You're like a regular Chekhov now. A regular Chekhov. As opposed to an irregular Chekhov who only poos once a week. (laughs) Anyway, Tom. Yes, speaking of pooing once a week, the mythology of the anus. <laughs> it turns out there is actually quite a bit of a mythological a- ani. Anusology. Anusology. Yes, there's quite a lot of mythological proctology. Uh, <laughs> China, for example, has uh, got various names. Uh, it's got mythological gold-eating lions who stole the treasure of the gods and ate it. And so the gods sealed their anuses as punishment, making the lions like giant millionaires' pinatas, so that when you split them open, gold would come flying out. Oh, right. They, oh, so, oh, I thought you said the gods. I thought you meant the gods sealed up their own anuses. I was about to say that's no, that's no, 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 no. That's not when they were keeping their. That's not when they were keeping their treasure. Watch me. <laughs> yeah, never ask, a, never ask a chi- <laughs> never ask a Chinese god for a pound coin for the trolleys at the supermarket. <laughs> Change for a tenner, oh mighty one. Yes, and Japan has the shrime. Just imagine in a Chinese god reclined in a trolley in an in an Asda car park, pissed as fuck. Yeah, drinking special brew and fuck fast. <laughs> Hanging around outside the bookies. So yes, Japan has the shrime, and I think you'll like the shrime, Tom. They are distant relatives of the kappa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how good your Japanese is, Tom, but uh, Shrime translates as buttocks eye. <laughs> buttocks eye? This is, yes, it's a demon, Tom, with an eye for a bum. Who, well, of course it is. <laughs> whose, sole purpose, whose sole purpose in Japanese mythology is to jump out at travelling samurai, strip off, wink at them, and then disappear back into the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Saucy. These poor travellers. God, don't visit Japan, folks, because all sorts of weird things. Yeah, don't walk. (laughs) It's always travellers that are being picked on. Christ. Poor drunk samurai walking home. (laughs) Being invited into the cottage of the enormous testicled raccoon and (laughs) being winked at by the bum eye demon. I think it says a lot about about the quality of the alcohol being served (laughs) through Japanese history, laced with LSD, I think. (laughs) Well, yes. For this topic, I briefly looked into South American history, Mayan, Aztec, that sort of stuff. Ah, I I thought you were going to jump on me then, because I'm doing Native American today. Ah, okay. But honestly, some of the Mayan and Aztec mythology is fucking bonkers. I know, swear, I swear yes. a lot of that has come from, you know, taking some rather hallucinogenic beans or leaves. There's plenty of delicious fluorescent frogs to lick. <laughs> so anyway, so off the back of the Shrime or buttocks eye demon, I found my story for the week. And I am equally ashamed and proud of myself for this one, Tom. <laughs> it is an origin story from native North America. And it's the story of how one of our most important body parts got its appearance. And also, how certain animals got their whiskers. Uh, (laughs) Now, this is a brilliantly silly story. Like, genuinely, I have been pissing myself reading the full story, so I thoroughly encourage the rest of the audience, I'll I'll, I'll tell you in a second where you'll find it, uh, to go and read this. And it's inspired me to do a lot more reading into Native American folk and myth. Because it's stupid. You're so so childish, Sam. No, the stories are genuinely brilliant. That's what inspires you. That's Stupidity. So good. I, I, I'm an atheist, but I, I, I like the idea of having a disrespectful religion. And what Native America has is a disrespectful religion. <laughs> Their gods are there to be mocked, which I oh, like. That's good. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Now, because uh, because Native Americans had an oral storytelling tradition, there are literally a hundred, probably a thousand variations on the, the story I'm going to tell today, most of which were never captured or translated, inevitably uh, white or 
kind of Western educated Native Americans wrote these stories down. Obviously, you're just getting one person's snapshot of a story that's been passed down for thousands of years. So I'm working off two versions of the same story today. Uh, one from the Winnebago tribe of Nebraska, translated by Sam Blowsnake and John Batiste in 1912. I think Sam Blowsnake is Native American. I yes, yes, he was. Not, yes, not so a he wrestler. was the translator. Okay. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> uh, and, and John Batiste, who was a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> So that was from 1912, and there's one from the Blackfoot tribe of Montana, which appears in a 1908 book from the American Museum of Natural History, which is called Mythology of the Blackfoot Indians by uh, Clark Vistler and D.C. Duval, which is available online, the entire thing's available online, and while some of the opinions in it are, mm, let's just say, white Americans talking about Native Americans in the early 20th century... Somewhat dated <laughs> view of interhuman relations. The stories in the book are fucking brilliant. They are so rude and <laughs> so I, I like the way you're trying to make this sound classy by citing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Look at me go. Supply, supplying a biography. A bi- sorry, a bibliography. Yeah, a bibliography. <laughs> they are, well, the only reason I'm really mentioning it is because you can find this book online. Do go and read it. It's fucking hilarious. It's brilliant. It's good. It, the full length of stories are like 300 pages. I've not finished it yet, but it's good. And I've got a brilliant mental image of two stuffy academics sitting around a sitting around a campfire whilst being told incredibly bawdy stories, getting increasingly hot and flustered. I've got an even better one of two two wrestlers to look... <laughs> listening to the story. Oh my god, that's amazing! You would not believe. What this guy told me. And then the son did what? <laughs> Get out of here. So anyway, the, the story that I'm telling today is called Old Man Roast Squirrels. Uh, that's the Blackfoot version. The Winnebago version is called Trickster Catches Ducks, but it's the same story. Old Man and Trickster are one and the same character, the same person. And Old Man is the Native American creator. He's the, the creation god who forced the earth to rise from the ocean. But the religion is one really of mockery so far from being a force for good and someone to be worshipped he's seen in most of these stories as an incompetent fool at absolute best at absolute best he's an idiot <laughs> and at worst he's a curmudgeonly arsehole who holds grudges like, like so, most old men like most old like, like most gods <laughs> <laughs> He has long since abandoned the world and gone elsewhere to cause trouble, so you don't have to worry about him uh, popping up and causing mischief. And he's absolutely not someone to be worshipped. He is just there to be laughed at. Uh, Which I think is a brilliant way to approach religion. So, Tom, old man roasts squirrels. Or or the more accurate title, how your bumhole got wrinkled. Right. And and also, how the links came to be. Incidentally, this story was collected at exactly the same time as Rudyard Kipling was writing his Just So stories. So do get ready to compare and contrast. (laughs) (laughs) And so from this point on, I'm more or less, I'm not reading it verbatim, but I'm more or less just going to tell the story from now because I've gone on for long enough. Old man was walking along one day and he heard some squirrels playing a game. The squirrels would roll around together in the ashes of an old fire until one of them couldn't stand the pain from the hot embers and would scream, and the other would therefore be the winner. Old man, being hungry, thought, Aha! and challenged the squirrels in his cunning way to join in the game, saying that all three of them would roll around in the ashes, but they all had to keep their eyes closed, and the last one to scream in pain won. Now, as soon as the squirrels lay down in the ashes, he covered them up, and quickly roasted them alive, and then sat down for dinner. Cheeky little bugger. (laughs) The little bastard. (laughs) In the other version, he finds some ducks who want to sing, and uh, and sings with them but they all have to keep their eyes closed to enjoy the beautiful music and as they close their eyes and sing he rings their necks one by one he's a little shit so when he'd eaten all he could there was still lots of meat left so he hung it above the ground for safety so he could have it for breakfast and got ready for bed but whilst he slept on he always had his little friend watching his back and little friend is a quote from the original translation Joe Pesci (laughs) who is this? close enough Tom his friend Tom was called Little Brown Eye Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes, Tom. Whilst he slept, his asshole would watch the meat to make sure no one stole it. <laughs> Letting out its quote special warning, end of quote, if anyone came by. <laughs> and, and and sure enough, Tom, after a short while, a crow landed on the tree. The Little brown <laughs> Little Brown Eye let up a frightful warning call. <laughs> Quote, waking old man up. <laughs> so, so, 
<laughs> so old man rolls over, takes a look at this and thinks, Pah, stupid little brown eye, he's woken me up for nothing. And goes back to This sleep. is like a really vulgar version of that scene in, in Mission Impossible. Where Tom Cruise is, is coming down from the ceiling trying to avoid those those red red beams. <laughs> Except those he's just, red He's just farting on them to show the red beams. Oh, no, the red beams are the farts. <laughs> the moment Tom Cruise touches one it goes <laughs> and, and a god awakens. <laughs> Feeling much lighter. <laughs> yeah. Feeling an incredible sense of relief. Uh, you can see why I picked this story, can't you? Oh, I'm definitely. very proud of myself for finding this. <laughs> so, old man goes back to sleep, and shortly afterwards, a lynx comes up. Now, if you're not American, lynx is a, a big predatory wildcat. Sure enough, little brown eye, ever watchful, screams and screams and screams and farts away. <laughs> a squeaker. <laughs> a, sque- a squeaker, a ripper, an SBD. He's trying everything, everything to wake old man up. But old man is so deep asleep that he doesn't even stir as little brown eye screams away and the and the lynx runs off with the meat. In the morning, old man is obviously furious. You little shit, he cries, yelling at his own ass. You didn't wake me <laughs> You didn't wake me up. <laughs> and he's so angry, Tom. He's so angry that he takes a red hot stick from the Ooh. fire and shoves it up little brown Again, eye. <laughs> cutting off your nose to spite your face a bit there. <laughs> yes, yes it is. <laughs> And uh, and here's an origin story, Tom. This is how the willow came to be. The stick which he shoved up uh, shoved up his own ass was made of willow, which forevermore was known to the Blackfoot as the stinky wood. Stinky <laughs> wood. Quote, the stinky wood. That's a quote, by the way, from <laughs> from the original source. What is ass? That was it. Oh. <laughs> that was the original source. <laughs> oh, there's a shower gel that's going to tingle. <laughs> Three deitic Native American rectums went into making this bottle of original source shower gel. Supplied by Crowther and Stokel Company. (laughs) Stealing indigenous arseholes since 1830. Fancy a ring? Give us a call. Yes. So, following the trail of squirrel blood and grease through the uh, through the bush, he quickly found the lynx who'd stolen it. Uh, he shouts at him. He says, "You stole my food, and now you'll be punished." He broke off part of the lynx's tail in anger. <laughs> all the time, all the time, was he having like a Gollum-esque conversation with his own ass? <laughs> yes, <laughs> my precious. Have you been watching out? Well, you were fucking busy fast asleep, weren't you? I farted as loud as a world. You didn't fart loud enough. Oh, I farted as loud as a bloody could. I screamed and screamed and screamed. <laughs> Maybe if you ate more squirrel, I would have been able to produce a bit more fat. <laughs> And then a bit less out to watch. <laughs> just do your job properly. And what was left for me? Nothing. That's right. Just like there ever is. <laughs> Never anything left for little brown eye, is there? Just a bit of peat. Just a bit of tree branch. That's all I ever got. <laughs> so, yes, whilst he's arguing with his own ass, he rips the lynx's tail off in anger leaving it with a short tail that it has today. He smashed its head against a rock repeatedly, like Vinnie Jones in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, <laughs> until its nose became flat, just like it is today. And then he grabbed hold of its back legs as it tried to get away until they stretched out long, giving the lynx its unique appearance. And, Tom, here's where I think the storytellers may have started messing with the fusty white academic translators <laughs> around the campfire. Because as a finishing touch, old man rips off his pubes and shoves them up the cat's nose, giving it its whiskers. Oh, just, as a, just, just as a final little insult. Just as a final little insult, he rips off his pubes and jams them up the cat's again, nose. He's, he's, again, he's causing himself a little bit of pain, isn't he? He is, yes. He's quite not the brightest. Ha- quite happy to cause a little bit of pain to himself to cause a bit more pain to someone else. Yes, he's not the plumpest sausage in the pack. <laughs> not the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> um... <laughs> Incidentally, uh, pubes is the word used in the original 1908 text. Is it? No flowery Victorian language here. Yeah, pubes is sure. word for word, it's verbatim. Pubes. <laughs> no garden of matrimonial necessities. <laughs> Short and curlies. Yes. So it's only at this point now he'd had his revenge and his anger started to subside that old man noticed that his bum was rather sore from having a hot poker shoved up it. And so he started hopping around in pain trying to find some relief until a gust of wind blew over his bum, (laughs) soothing it and making him feel much better. Incidentally, by the way, he's naked, old man, due to being repeatedly shit on by angry birds in another story. You have to read the book, it's brilliant. (laughs) 
so right. Okay. So he's busy so, doing a handstand beside a hairdryer at the moment. Is that what you said? Yeah. Well, a hand yeah, dryer in a public much, toilet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, having arguments with his ass, doing a handstand. Yeah. He's he's squatting over a Dyson Airblade. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to his own ass. Eating dead squirrels. <laughs> yep, we've all met this man in a public toilet. I yes, I too like Weatherspoon's pubs. <laughs> um, and so, noticing that the wind is cooling and soothing, he runs up to the top of the nearest mountain. And when he gets to the top, he demands that the wind blows and blows and blows. And so the wind kicks up an almighty storm. But it's still not enough relief for his burned and bubbling ass. Blow, blow, blow! He shouts. And the wind blows until an almighty storm picks him up by the arse <laughs> and flings him on the wind down the mountain, tumbling over and over and over until he reaches the bottom and crashes into a birch tree, which he was furious about for ruining his roly-polying fun, tumbling over and over, giggling away. So he cuts up the tree with his knife, giving birch its unique appearance. He's a strange man. He's an odd man, Tom. I think we've established. <laughs> giggling away as he talks with his ass. <laughs> yeah. He started to get more and more like someone who would talk to you on a bus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh dear. Now, the Blackfoot story doesn't mention this, but in the Winnebago version, <laughs> at some point between shoving a cat full of his own pubes and hiking up a mountain, Trickster, as he's known to the Winnebago, old man to the Blackfoot, realises he's got even more problems. His insides are dragging along the ground behind him. God. Yes, by shoving the stick of his ass, he's prolapsed his own anus. <laughs> Something you can empathise with, eh, Sam? Oh, yes. <laughs> we sympathise. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, incidentally, actually, uh, in medieval Europe, shoving a hot poker up your ass was a cure for hemorrhoids. Was it? So, there you go. Uh, so, no worries, he thinks, and he, uh, he gathers up all of his innards, dusts them off, and pops them back in where they belong before trying to stitch Little Brown Eye back together. Unfortunately, Little Brown Eye is in a lot of pain by this point and won't stop twitching, so Trickster makes a right hash job of it. And that, Tom, is why bumholes are wrinkly to this day. Oh, because that is something that throughout human history has needed explaining, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Yes, it is, isn't it? Don't worry about why the stars move in the sky, why the moon comes up at night and the sun goes down. Don't worry about that shit. Why have I got a wrinkly arsehole? Yes. <laughs> Asking the big questions. <laughs> Answering the big questions. You know what's weird about that question? Why have I got a wrinkly arsehole? It's not a question you can you can ask on your own, is it? Because you can't see your own arsehole. No, you have to be observing someone else's arsehole. You have to think, you have a wrinkly arsehole. Do I have a wrinkly arsehole? Let's compare arseholes. Possibly something considered while someone was rimming, you know? <laughs> well, I didn't read into it that much, but I'll have to read the rest of the stories and see. Find out if that's true. <laughs> Unless... Oh, do you know what? My favourite story on a, on a kind of a, a vaguely <laughs> sexual note is the story in which old man discovers what erections are. And... <laughs> wakes up one morning wondering why someone's erected a flagpole under his blanket, pops it in a box, spots a princess... <laughs> What's the story, morning glory? Like on the other side of the... <laughs> yeah, well, quite. Spots a princess on the other side of a lake gets his dick out of the box, skims his boner across the lake, princess sees it, tries to twat it with a hammer, (laughs) at which point old man's penis gets so angry that it slaps her with such force it sends her flying through the air. That is, Tom, one of the great (laughs) stories of Native American folklore. Nice (laughs) to know people have been skimming stones for so long. Yes, well, quite. (laughs) Skimming stones must must be one of the oldest forms of entertainment, mustn't it? And by stones, you mean testicles. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So anyway, there we go, Tom. What a wild ride that story was. I think it... I, I'm going to put it out there. I find that more entertaining than uh, Psalms from the Bible. <laughs> so as a religion, I think I'm going to convert. And what a frankly brilliant creation story for links, birch trees and rectums in one go. Fantastic. Very, very good. And how did, how did your research take you down that route? I mean, we, we both started I... from the same point. <laughs> we reached very different conclusions. Yeah, I, I got nowhere near your conclusion. <laughs> 
that's a brilliant show of six degrees of separation. That's six <laughs> yeah. degrees of separation in action. Well, that's what that was genius is all about, isn't it, Sam? <laughs> yes, it is. From the same point, wildly different stories emerge. I think I did genuinely Google mythology of the bum. And I'm not surprised. <laughs> and had a look at what turned up. Because, well, what, do you know what it was? I think I was looking at uh, relics still at, at that point. I was looking at someone's ass. And I thought, why is that wrinkling? I was doing a Google image search. And <laughs> <laughs> now I was looking up uh, looking up relics, and I think there there is a relic of either someone's spleen or someone's intestines and rectum nailed to a board, which actually went on a tour of UK churches about five years ago. The, uh, the spleen, anus, and intestines of some or other ancient saint. Off the back of that, I typed in mythology of the anus to see if there were any other kind of good stories about well, arses. It's a good start. It's a cracking start. I wouldn't have even thought of such a good search term. Well, you kind of have to trick Google now into giving you good results if you're looking for inspiration off the, off the back of an internet search. If you type in mythology of the anus or, you know, myths of the anus, you get an awful lot of stuff about anal sex and various STDs. You have to go six or seven pages back to get past the sift. You have to do have to sift the... through it, don't you? The other problem with <laughs> you Google is when you search it, you immediately get up heaps of cliche results. So if you type up history yes. of body parts, you get up Abraham Lincoln, you get Napoleon's dick. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a whole list of the you know the, the standard ones. You've got to sift through all of those slightly clickbaity websites then you get some juicy stuff yeah <laughs> juicy stuff is such a wonderful turn of phrase <laughs> juicy squirrely stuff mm. tastes like roast squirrel mm. very good well anyway Tom there well, we that go was, that was definitely two ends of the spectrum this week wasn't it <laughs> that was two ends of the spectrum and that's what you get well it actually literally was the skull and the anus <laughs> yes, well, yes. <laughs> two ends of the spectrum and digestive tract yeah. <laughs> but that's what listeners want isn't it Sam we give them some. We give some I don't some know if that's what listeners gen, want. Gen, genuine history and something poignant to think about, and then something ridiculously rude <laughs> and silly. Well, it's like, mixing it all up. You know, in a, in a, we're mixing it up. In a way, I'm glad we went with that route because if we both done something serious, it would have been a fucking depressing episode. <laughs> Very good. Oh, have we had any more suggestions? Have we got to catch up on any suggestions? I don't know. I, I, someone was suggesting spying, but I think we've kind of done that a little bit in the past, haven't we? Oh. Um, so I think I think we're I think we're in the clear. I'll go back and have a look. I'm, I'm happy to do spying. Would you like to do espionage? I think that could be quite good. Yeah, should we do espionage? What was the one? We, what did we do before? We what did, was the one we we've... have done a spy-related one before, haven't we? Because you were talking about Soviet the US and the Soviet Union I did Juan Pajol Garcia at some point as well he was a, a British spy yeah let's do spying fuck it let's do spying spying it let's, is let's do spying if, if we do it again we do it again yeah, so be it go on well thank you so much for tuning in uh, hopefully neither of these stories put you off too much or both of them did and now you've reached a beautiful yin yang balance in your life uh, <laughs> do tune in next week for a, a, what is definitely going to be an interesting episode and in the meantime, if you've got any topics for suggestion, do get in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter, that underscore was underscore genius, on Instagram, that was genius, all one word, and on Facebook, that was genius podcast. Uh, you can also email us, that was geniuscast at gmail.com. Right, say goodbye, Tom. See you later. Bye.